Hello, once this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Paxton, and we're here talking all things sports in Salford. Join me the show this week, as ever, we have Paul Whiteside from the Devil Eater. Look forward to talking all things sports in Salford, Paul. Yeah, certainly am, mate. Yeah, I'm still buzzing after Friday night watching uh, watching Salford Rugby League. That was tremendous, and it certainly perked me up. So, yeah, really happy to uh, to be on the show tonight, mate. Looking forward to it. Yeah, and we've also got Jane Sweetman from the Sweetman and Salford podcast. Miss you last week, mate. Yeah, Rob, devastated not to be on last week. You know, I dearly miss it when I'm out there on a Sunday night to record this show here. But I'm back tonight and I can't wait to talk about sport for the next hour. Yeah, lots and lots to, to go on on the show, on the Sports Zone, on Salford City Radio tonight. And when we'll start with the Rugby League and Salford Red Devils, Paul. Great win away at Huddersfield Giants. Talk us through it. Oh, tremendous, Rob. Tremendous display from Salford who, who came out. Uh, a, bit, a bit of drizzle there on, on, on Friday night. Different conditions from the sunshine that they've had recent weeks. Um, it's a bit cooler and a bit of dampness in the air. And, and Salford came out and, and, and came out fighting, really. It was a good start from us as well. And both, both sides, I thought, early doors completed the sets of six. And it was a real good arm wrestle in the game. And, uh, you know, Salford got, got the, the first try of the match and managed to build a bit of a lead up there, you know, 6 0 up. And, Having a man sent off was always going to be, be difficult for us. In the, just before half time, about ten minutes before half time, we had a, we had a player sent off, so uh, we knew we were going to be backs to the wall there. Huddersfield got some points on the board, but we managed to get another penalty goal and go in leading eight points to two at half time. So a really good, solid first half. We knew in the second half it was going to be tough, um, but to to just only concede the one try, which we did, and um, not concede any more, was, was a tremendous defensive display. You know, Huddersfield had an awful lot of possession. I think four or five sets of six at one time, and they had a couple of dropouts and we, we kept them out there. It was tremendous stuff. And Chris Atkin dropped a goal about 13 minutes from time. Real calm one as well. Huddersfield had a drop goal attempt which hit the post, I think, or sort of between the post and the crossbar late on. Ball bounced down and could have gone anywhere, but we managed to uh, to rescue the situation there and, and, and cling on to, to get a, a much-needed victory, but an absolute thriller, an absolute thrilling match. I mean, I know it's a low-scoring game, but both sides had a, had a lot of quality, some, some great defence, and uh, it was a real pleasure to, to watch, re- a real treat, really, and uh, very emotional at the end, I think, for Richard Marshall and the supporters who, who waited for that result. And uh, and yet it was it was it was a, it was a top result. You know, bit of controversy with the sending off, but um, Huddersfield had 50 minutes against us with, with 12 men, and I think we did a terrific job. Yeah, controversial sending off. Uh, James Greenwood sent off. Talk us through why it was con- controversial, Paul. Yeah, well, James Greenwood sort of went low in the tackle and uh, it was on Adam O'Brien, the Huddersfield hooker and uh, Dan Sargison came steaming in sort of as the top man and, uh, and and caught O'Brien. So I've watched it a few times and you can't really tell whether he's hitting me on the head or not because the camera angle that I've seen is, I think it's off the Owl E gap. It's, it, he's upstairs, but whether he catches him, I, you can't really tell. You need another angle at it. So it does look a bit clumsy, but I've said it before with Dan Sargison, who came over the top. I won't, I, don't, I won't call him a clumsy player. That's being disrespectful to him, but he, he can be at times. He can be full-blooded and I'd never want to take that away from him, but he plays the game so tough and so hard, runs the ball and so hard. Sometimes he does catch people and, you know, the, the referee there has not seen seen that and sent James Greenwood off the guy who went downstairs. So he's, it's been a, a case of mistaken identity there and 
And really, you know, listen to Ian Watson, the, the Huddersfield coach. I think he had a point, really. You've got like a touch judge on there, an in-goal judge, a referee. You've got a guy wired up in the stand. So I'm not quite sure how they, how they made that mistake. One thing I would say, though, is I was disappointed with what Ian Watson said in his, his, his pre-match where he was talking about Dan Sargent getting a ban and things like that. I thought that was a bit out of order. I know it was the, the, the wrong sort of the wrong sending off, but I think we should have given Salford a bit of credit there and perhaps been a bit more a bit more class out of him. So a bit disappointed with, with Ian Watson, but totally understand why he was frustrated with that decision because it was the wrong one. And it was a shame for James Greenwood as well because he'd just come back into the side. He worked his socks off there and he, he was he was just I think he was gutted he was getting sent off. He was trying to sort of tell the referee, you know, he's sending the wrong man off. So I don't know how they've made that mistake, but Full credit to Salford in that second half, you know, backs to the wall there, 12 men against it. You know, a side in Huddersfield who spent a lot of money, a lot of ambition there, the Giants and uh, some big name players. And uh, we stood up and we counted and it was it was fantastic. And I got a bit emotional at the end just watching Richard Marshall. I was absolutely thrilled for him. He's been through the mill last sort of month or two with, with bad results and bad looking suspensions and injuries and things like that. He's had everything to deal with. And, you know, he's never moaned once. I mean, you listen to his interview last week at OKR. We had a man sin bin, didn't we? And it was quite controversial. He never... He never blamed anything on that, and and, and you know he's 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 been a real gentleman since he's been at the club, and uh, I was very proud of him and very proud of the players on on Friday night. I think they thoroughly deserved that victory. Yeah, I obviously seeing the clip without wearing the red uh, spectacles on, Paul Dan Sargent went high, cleaned him out, and then did his best impression of the uh, the predator in the predator movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger, just blended into the background. And I don't think the referee could figure out who it was after after a bit of a sort of a five minute uh, sort of a delay. And I think he obviously the top players kind of huddle around him to stop the stop the stop the uh, the capture happening, uh, and he got away with it, which is a thing that a lot of Salford fans. Uh, talk about how the RFL is is uh, sort of again they, they feel the RFL uh, you know punishes Salford unfairly. Uh, so for me, I think I think that offsets against the you know a few decisions we've got through the years. Yeah, well, I, th- I think sometimes it, that was up to the referees to to sort that out. I mean, like Ian Watson said, the Chris Kendall's the fourth official. He's watching it on the screen. Surely he could have told the referee. So you know, Salford has just got to get on with the game. I mean, we've we've been down to twelve men there. However you look at it, I mean. It's not as if Dan Sargison went on in the second half and scored a hat-trick of tries and, and, and took the game away from Huddersfield. He didn't, so they had more than ample opportunity to, to get a result in that game. But, yeah, it, it was difficult. I saw the, the replay on, on, on a tiny screen. It was a bit blurred, and it does look like he's coming over the top. But I believe Adam O'Brien dislocated his shoulder, so I don't know. It's a difficult one. There'll obviously be better camera angles and, and, and something will happen from that. The disappointing thing for me was the way Ian Watson was saying about he should get a, a big ban. I don't think he should comment on the team's players and things like that. I think that's what the supporters were a bit disappointed about, but it doesn't take anything away from us. I thought it was a, a great display and it was just what we needed. We needed that result and um, you know, it's, it, it to, to, to get it in those circumstances, heroic display, I thought, in that second half against all the odds. You, you would have thought Huddersfield would have come out and and, and moved the ball and, and scored some some tries and uh, you know made the extra man advantage count. But I think you've got to give an awful lot of credit to the players there. Young Ben Davis as well. What is he, 18, 19 years of age? I thought he was absolutely outstanding in defence, as, as, as were all the players. Jack Wells, wow. I mean, how many times did he take the ball? I think he played the full 80 minutes in the, in the back row there. He's tackling as well. I mean, you'll have the stats, won't you, on the, on the podcast this week. But he must have made some metres because he worked his absolute socks off. So, uh, so yeah, there's an awful lot of credit got to go to the team for that performance. It was uh, it was a much-needed win. Yeah, I spoke to Richard Marshall after the game, and this is what he had to say. All right, Ricky, it's Rob. Hi, Rob. 
congratulations on a big win tonight. How do you and your players feel after that? We're ecstatic. We, you know, we're really pleased. We knew it was it was just around the corner. We didn't know it would be quite under the circumstances that, that that's happened today. There was lots that went on in that game uh, that, that we couldn't foresee or predict or even prepare for, uh, which probably makes it all the more all the more sweeter, really, uh, to go to go up against a really strong team who are doing who've been doing really well and and, and get the win was was massive. It's, it's a massive confidence booster for our team. Yeah, Dick Patton and Chris Hacking were your half-back pairing tonight after you left out to Eli here. You were very impressive managing the game and looking dangerous. And as a team, we look more dangerous as well. Yeah, we, yeah, the combinations were, were, were good. But as I said earlier, I thought the pack was outstanding. I thought we had a real good go on the front foot. Uh, Tirolola here's uh, partner's had a baby this week. So there's a little bit of that uh, as well. And he'd, he'd not prepared uh, in, in the week. Um, so... Yeah, so we just thought we'd have a look at Deck and, and, and Chris. I thought, yeah, I thought it was it, the recombination was really good, and but they can both play better as well. Uh, Deck's not, not had a start this season, so he'll be better for that start. Yeah, James Green was sent off in a case of mistaken identity. As a coach, what what when you're sort of reorganising, what's best losing your fullback or, or losing a forward? Um, well, I think losing a fullback is worse than losing a forward. Um, we've not had, we've not had. I don't know if, if looks the word or whatever. Uh, we've not had any anything of of any sort given to us, uh, and we don't want to. I thought we earned the win, the win there, uh, whether it was Sarge or, or, or Greenwood or whoever. Um, I thought whoever <laughs> I thought we were outstanding defensively, and uh, and as I say, we just we nullified threats that Huddersfield threw at us. Yeah, you can't fault your efforts of your players in that second half against all odds. It was incredible. It was, yeah, that's a fair assessment. It was incredible, but uh, this group's been, you know, we've we've been in the mill. We, you know, we've had fingers pointed at us, and and I thought that was excellent, excellent, just to to repay the faith in the supporters, our fans, our families, every whoever everyone who's been so supportive. Um, but let's not get carried away. There's a long way to go yet. It, you know, it's one win. Uh, it was a one-point win, fought out against good opposition away from home, and we'll move on. Yeah, the second half, the effort was there, but you also played the, the scenario well, and definitely. Did you think you were, this is the smartest sort of performance from your team uh, so far this season? Uh, I think it was the, most, the toughest, the most resilient performance I've seen for a long time of a lot of teams that I've worked with, uh, and I mentioned that to the players, to go through what we did, losing your skipper in the warm-up and then everything else that went along with that game to come through and, and win. It was really satisfying. Uh, you know, it, a lot of, all the credit goes to the players. <clears throat> they've had it, they've been under the pump, they've been under the spotlight and under the pump and I thought they, uh, they came through with flying colours this evening. Yeah, leads the next uh, next game, something, so obviously with tonight's results would be good to build on. Yeah, that's it. Just yeah, we're we're in tomorrow. There's no weekends off or or celebrating. We're in tomorrow. We're at work. Uh, we'll be reviewing that. We've not reviewed a performance like that for a while, so I'm looking forward to the vision this evening. And uh, and then we'll yeah we'll fire in we'll fire in this week. Any injuries? We pick any injuries up. Um, I think young Ben Davis got a bit of a groin strain, but managed to carry on, which was great for us. Uh, he's been a really shining light for us. Um, Elijah Taylor's got a knock on his into his ribs. Uh, and come off with a head knock, so did Harvey. Um, and obviously Lee Mossop at the start. So that was Richard Marshall, Paul, talking to himself after the game. He was ecstatic 
and about the performance and his efforts from his players. Tuilola here didn't make the squad and he went with Patton and Atkin in his halves. And I thought both played very well and moved Salford round a lot. Uh, Richard Marshall talks about the smarts and I thought Atkin in particular in that last sort of five minutes was very, very smart taking Salford to victory. Well, yeah, I mean, Tui Lollier's wife, I think, had a, had a baby recently, hasn't she? And, uh, you know, perhaps it was the right thing to, to give Tui a rest if that's been happening. So, you know, you go with what's, what players you've got. But one thing I did notice on Friday night, we seem to have a bit more structure with uh, with Chris Atkin and Declan Patton in the house. We seem to have a bit more of a game plan and looked looked a bit more settled, I thought. So, uh, so yeah, I think if I was Richard Marshall, I'd, I'd probably keep it the same this week for the, for the game against Leeds. Um, but, yeah, I thought Chris Atkin was, was superb. He took his drop goal. At the right time for me, I think, you know, there's never a wrong time to drop a goal. I think sometimes you can leave it too late and be, be frantic, can't you? But I think he, he nailed that just at the right time for us. And, uh, and yeah, he worked his socks off. He worked really, really hard the week before uh, against Hull KR in, in that game. And, um, you know, he was very disappointed to get Simbin. But I think every every week Chris Atkin puts it, and I will mention it on the podcast this week, he's probably not the greatest halfback in the league. But what he um, lacks in greatness, he, he's got in... Um, in enthusiasm and got quite a bit of ability as well, but he's, he's he really is a hard worker. He gives everything every week, Chris Atkin, and you can't question his attitude as well. And I was very pleased with him. I thought he played really well. Declan Patton as well. I think we've said it before. He's not a hooker for me. He, he, if you're going to play him, you've got to play him in the halves, and, and, and he proved that. He played really well in the halves with with Chris Atkin, and their partnership seemed seemed to blossom really well. I thought Dan Sargent coming back into the side was a massive boost you could tell in that first half there before they sort of sending off into that first 20 minutes we looked his, his enthusiasm seemed infectious you know he's talking the way he plays the game the way he runs the ball and other people see that and he's leading by example and I think the, the rest of the players got a buzz off that definitely and um, I'm just hoping he doesn't get an, another ban because he's been suspended twice this season already and had a few injuries as well so we need Dan on the pitch because he's, he's a super player and you know he's in the England squad and he's in the England squad for a reason because he's because he's a good player Yep, it was an opportunity, obviously a springboard now for Salford to kick on. They play uh, Leeds this week, Paul. The, the result, the fans are now buoyant. They've repaid the faith, the fans uh, that they've shown in the last few weeks, stay, staying with the, the team after a bit of a barren run. So you're hoping that they can test Leeds because Leeds haven't had a, had, a, had a game, I don't think, for is it a week or two weeks because of the COVID situation. So they might go in cold. So we'll be interested to see what happens on uh, Friday night. Yeah, so they don't call it off again. They've called the last two games. I found the yeah. leads for COVID, so we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, they didn't go to Catalan and they didn't play this week, did they? So uh, they've had um, had a few, had a couple of weeks. I said like three weeks since they played, won't it? So uh, I don't think they've been on on top form this season. I've noticed Richard A. Guys, the, the coach has been getting a bit of stick from the supporters, and they've had a bit of an in and out start to the season. I'm not, I think they've only won three games, only three or four games. So they've lost a few matches as well. The form's been in a bit in and out. So. Salford at home as well, you'd expect the players to be full of confidence now and try and build. We've got two home games now coming up the next two weeks against Leeds and Wakefield, who are going to be tough. Both games are going to be tough. You know, Wakefield has shown this season they can they can play some good stuff. So, uh, But the, the, the games you've got to win now. And if we are to get a couple of victories, um, you know, it really will start moving us at that table. So uh, so I think we've got to start looking up now. We, we showed in that game against Huddersfield on Friday that we, we can mix it with, with the good teams. Huddersfield are a decent side, so uh, we've shown that we can play there. We've defended. I think, for me, the defence was tremendous. I mean, to, to concede one try in a match away from home when you've been conceding absolute bagfuls. I mean, how many did we concede at all okay, There was, it was a few in that game, wasn't it? The 60 points against against Warrington. So to come back from conceding 100 points in two games to just concede eight, 
I thought was uh, was great. And I think Richard Marsh has worked overtime, hasn't he, in training over the last week or so, getting the players prepared and ready for that game. And uh, and yeah, let's carry it on now, hopefully, and, uh, and get a victory against Leeds. Yeah, off the field, Salford have been busy. Uh, they've signed a scrum half, a Tongan scrum half, Atto Higanau. Uh, played for Tonga in the World Cup with Tuilola here, so he's got good pedigree and will certainly add lots of quality to that Salford half-back position. Yeah, it seems ironic that we're just talking about Declan Patton and, um, and Chris Atkin playing really, really well in that game and thinking, well, we've signed a back now, so <laughs> probably don't need him now after the, the way they've played. But but no, I think he'll put pressure on and it's always good to have um, to have a bit of strength and depth in your squad because you don't know what's around the corner. Uh, you know, you know, injuries are always going to happen, aren't they, and things like that. And plus it'll put a bit of pressure on. So, so yeah, he's obviously a talented kid. He's played in a World Cup for Tonga, you know, and, and played in the NRL as well. And he's only fairly young, so I'm sure he's an ambitious guy and and, and want to win a contract, you know, either at Salford or, or somewhere else. So he want to play well and put himself in the shop window. So I'm looking forward to see what he can do because he comes with a with a decent pedigree. And I was just thinking to myself the other day, um, Christian Wolf used to be the coach of, of Tonga, didn't he? So I'm wondering if Richard Marshall's I had a phone call with him and spoke to me you know, as they worked together last season at St. Helens so, uh, and, and been recommended. You never know, that could that could have happened. So uh, so he's obviously come with, with, with recommendations from someone. So I'm, I'm sure he'll be a very good player. It's all very CSI, that, Paul. Looking at telephone, the record, recordings <laughs> now, see you, see you talk to who. <laughs> no, I've not been. I've not been tapping Richard Marshall's phone line anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, let, let's talk about our other club, uh, Swinton Lions. They faced Halifax and lost thirty-four points to four. Uh, Stuart Littler's men really going through the wheel at the moment. Yeah, they cost me an arm and leg in my accumulator today. I got oh. six out of seven, and I backed Swinton. And Swinton's the only one who's let me down. I backed him with a twenty-four point start, and I think they've lost thirty. Yeah, thirty-six. Six was it. Um, yeah, I thought they'd have done better. That's why I went with them today. I thought they would have pushed Halifax all the way, but Halifax have, have hit a bit of form over the last couple of weeks, haven't they? And uh, they seem to be moving on up the table. You've got to feel for Stuart Little and Swinton are having a, a real tough time at the moment. But just uh, reading some of the reports today and spoke to a couple of the fans today who've been to the game, and uh, I think Swinton were, were pretty uh, plucky today. I think they give it their all and uh, you know, cost Halifax a few problems. and. No, it's, it's tough at the moment. You know, Swinton and Stuart Little and his players are putting everything in. You, you can see that, you know, in the performances. They they really are trying to, to get a result. It's a real tough league, that championship, isn't it, as we've seen. And I've just seen the results today. Featherstone Rovers have, have walloped Dewsbury again. And you look at the players they've got in their squad, it, it must be difficult for, for like, Swinton and Newcastle and Oldham who are sort of down near the bottom to compete. So Swinton have got it all to do at the moment. I'm just hoping they can get a result sooner rather than later because nobody wants to be sat down there with, with, with zero points. Yeah, always make sure you bet responsibly. So um, Paul's accumulators and don't always come in, Paul, do they? But you can always bet uh, that Lewis Roberts, an ex-Sulfur player who's playing for Swinton now, uh, will be there and back thereabouts when scoring tries. He's the only Swinton try scorer today. He's got a bright future, that kid. He certainly has, yeah. We, we saw um, some impressive uh, action for him at Salford, didn't we? And, um, you know, we knew he was going to... Uh, I was surprised Salford let him go, to be honest with you. He looked like a kid with an awful lot of promise, and I think he has. So um, he's, he's doing well at Swinton at that championship level. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw him in Super League in the near future. He scored a few tries this season, and uh, no, best of luck to him as well. You know, that's great to see, you know, young players coming through and doing well at the local club. So uh, let's just let's just hope Swinton can start getting some, some wins, picking some wins up because their confidence must be shot at the moment you know getting beat every week's tough but no well done to Lewis Roberts there another another good try today 
yeah, off the field, uh, there was a bit of a scare at, at Swinton game. Uh, was it one of the club officials w- w- was taken to hospital, Paul? Was that last week? Yeah. Yeah, it was last week. Yeah, um, I, I, I don't know the exact details from it, but I think he's, he's I don't, I'm not sure of his name, so I didn't know he was going to ask me that, otherwise I would have prepared. But I, um, but yeah, I, th- I believe I believe the gentleman's okay, and and you know Swinton looked after him and did really well last week. So credit to everybody involved there at Swinton who, who sorted that emergency out, and uh, you know good to see the the gentleman's on the mend. Yeah, uh, they face London away uh, this week, Paul. Another tough test. Yeah, it certainly is. London's always tough to go. You know, we've been down there a few times with Salford, and it's a difficult place to get a result. Um, that's going to be another tough game for Swinton there's no doubt about that London has had a, had a decent win this weekend I think they beat uh, Whitehaven at the weekend so uh, that was a close game though in the first half Whitehaven give a good account of themselves so uh, so yeah Swinton have just got to keep going haven't they and hopefully the luck's going to turn and they, and they can get a result but London another tough place to go and as I said before the Championship is such a tough league to play in at the moment there's so much quality in there as well and I mean, Toulouse at the moment haven't played for the last couple of weeks, have they? So they're still up there. But uh, no, that's going to be another hard game for, uh, for Swinton, sorry. Yeah, so that's all the Rugby League chat uh, for today. And now we're going to be talking boxing with James. Uh, James, Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder met at the press conference this week for the first time since their last fight to promote their trilogy bout. But it was a bit of a strange one, James, as Wilder refused to answer any questions from the press. Where do you think he is mentally at this moment? Yeah, it was an extremely weird press conference, Rob. Deontay Wilder refusing to answer any questions from the media at all. He walked in, sat down, looked a little bit distressed. He had headphones on, so he couldn't even hear what was being said. He read, I suppose, a minute-long statement about the damage he was going to do to Tyson Fury, etc., etc., but then he wouldn't answer anything for the rest of the press conference. So Fury himself found... Fan Malik Scott, Deontay Wilder's new trainer, is the sort of victim for his jokes and his abuse because he couldn't really direct anything towards Deontay Wilder as he, well, simply couldn't hear anything. So Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder haven't promoted this press conference brilliantly. This new fight coming up isn't exactly catching headlines because the two fighters aren't exchanging verbals like they did in the first two fights. So from a business perspective, this isn't very good. I mean, you could argue Deontay Wilder is getting into the right state mentally. Maybe he wants to avoid being goaded by Fury. He just wants to concentrate on the fight. He just wants it to be all business. But you could also argue that he's a bit bit fragile at the moment. He's made so many excuses as to why he lost that first fight, whether it be his coach backed his water, uh, he threw in the towel too early, his suit was too heavy, Fury put something in his gloves. You know, all these excuses that he's made. And now he's come face-to-face with Tyson. Maybe he just didn't have the bottle to talk to him or face him. Maybe that was it. Maybe he didn't want to get into an argument with Fury because he knew he would lose. Maybe he's just feeling on edge. Maybe he's nervous. Maybe he's scared. Who knows? But a lot of people speculate that Deontay Wilder is very fragile at the moment. Do you think it's overconfidence uh, will be a problem for Fury? Yeah, I think complacency could be an issue because Fury is always at his best was a bit of jeopardy in the fight. He underperforms against lower-level opposition, but if you stick him in with a Klitschko or a Wilder, that's when you'll see him at his best. But he seemingly beat Wilder twice now, and after the first fight, there was that jeopardy there because he was caught with such a big punch. But because he beat him so easily in the second fight, he may well just be complacent and think that he can brush Deontay Wilder aside, no problem, easy fight. He needs to remember that Deontay Wilder is still the hardest puncher probably in boxing history. He can't switch off for a single second, so he is complacent. 
that's his main possibility of losing this fight. He needs to be on it every single second because even though skill for skill, he's levels above Deontay Wilder. So he's a punching power. It only takes one slip up. Deontay Wilder just needs to be perfect for one second of the fight and it's over. After his bout against Floyd Mayweather, YouTuber Logan Paul has called out Mike Tyson. Surely that's a step too far for him. Yeah, most certainly, Rob. I mean, Logan Paul is well and truly living the dream, aren't they? I mean, I suppose both brothers are. They're convincing people the real fight is they're getting these huge paychecks. I mean, Logan Paul earned more money off that boxing belt of Floyd Mayweather than most world champions will earn in their entire career. It's as simple as that. So you can't blame him for wanting to go one step further and challenge Mike Tyson. And as old as Mike Tyson is, I still think he's barking up the wrong tree there. Mike Tyson isn't going to be like Floyd Mayweather. He isn't going to let Logan Paul, you know, scrape his way through a points decision. He's going to try and take him out. <laughs> so this would be one that I, I think I'd knock on the head if I was Logan Paul. Yeah, the Paul Gallon fairy tale has come to an end as he was defeated by a young Australian Olympic hope. Tell us about that. Yeah, Paul Gallon. He's had such a good running box now, hasn't he? He defeated Mark Hunt a legend of UFC and kickboxing. Then he defeated Lucas Brown, a former world champion. He tried to take it one step further when he opted to take on Justice Hooney, who is a future Olympian for Australia, will be fighting in Tokyo in just a few weeks' time. And he felt like he could make an impact for the Australian heavyweight, uh, heavyweight championship. Unfortunately, Paul Gallon couldn't get the job done. He tried his absolute heart out. He gave it his all. He stayed in the fight probably for longer than he should have. I'd like to see him get pulled out. He was taking punch after punch after punch after punch over the 10-round period. And, and to his credit, absolutely nothing phased him at all. Nothing phased him. He took all the shots on the chin until the final one, which knocked him over, and then the referee called it a day. But he's an extremely tough man, Paul Gallen. How much credit does Gallen deserve for getting in with the names which he has? Unbelievable amounts of credit. I mean, in his last three fights... He's not been given a single chance in any of them. Mark Hunt is one of the hardest punches he's ever lived. A UFC and kickboxing legend who has far more experience than Paul Gallen. Everyone thought Gallen was going to get knocked out in a round or two. Paul Gallen found a way to win. Against Lucas Brown, a former world champion, even though past his best, people felt he's got a far, far too much ability for Paul Gallen, who's just a rugby player. And then Paul Gallen flips the script and knocks him out in the first round. Going into this Justice Hooney fight, people thought, no, no chance. Future Olympian Justice Honey, the future Australian boxer. This is the step too far for Gallen. And it was. But I think people thought the stoppage was going to come a lot sooner. Paul Gallen has crossed over in the world of rugby league. And he's fighting absolutely anybody. He's not scared of a single man. And not for one second can anybody look bad at this career. I saw people slating Paul Gallen, but I would never do that. Purely because of the fact he's as tough as they come. And he'll get in with literally anyone. With, uh, with Gallon beat, Australia has a new heavyweight star and they could also have an Olympic champion. Tell us about that. Yeah, Justice Hooney after defeating Paul Gallon. He then takes all that star power for himself. He isn't the greatest talker, but an opponent like Paul Gallon has got him into the mainstream. Gallon probably the biggest star in Australian boxing right now. Justice Hooney's taken all that momentum and he can use it for himself. He's now going to the Olympics in Tokyo. If he can pick up a gold medal on top of that, I think he'll be the biggest boxer Australia's ever seen. And I think people will really get behind him on route to potentially becoming a world champion in the program. The MMA versus boxing fights have been going for a while now. And there was a huge shock on Saturday as former UFC champion Anderson Silva defeated a former world champion. Tell us all about that. 
I mean, for a while now, these bouts have been going on, haven't they? And we've always thought, you know, the boxer will never beat the MMA fighter in a cage and the MMA fighter will never beat the boxer in a boxing ring. But it's happened, and it's happened at quite a high level. Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. passed his best but a former world champion and he was defeated by a 46-year-old ex-MMA fighter in Anderson Silva. Incredible, really. Of course, Julio Cesar Chavez's dad was such an icon for Mexican boxing and his son's almost let the name down because he's got the talent. We've seen him beat the likes of Andy Lee, but he's so ill-disciplined. He missed weight yet again for this bout, which is utterly pathetic because he's had time and time and time and opportunity after opportunity to get it right and he couldn't. And it felt like a loss to somebody like Anderson Silva was coming. Anderson Silva had two boxing bouts, one in 2005 and one in 1999, I think. He's 46 years of age. I think he's won one MMA fight in the last eight years. So the fact that Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. lost to him against a man who was way past his best and was just stepping into boxing, you know, as a one-off, really, I think it's extremely embarrassing. But Anderson Silva's brought a great deal of pride to the MMA world. Obviously, Ben Askren stepped in with Jake Paul not so long ago. That was the one that got all the eyeballs on it, and he got beaten so badly. So I think Anderson Silva's brought a bit of credit back to the MMA world. And he's the first big, you know, crossover star to win one of the bouts in the opposite way because no MMA fighter going over to boxing, aside from his one. And there's not really many boxers going over to MMA and winning. Where does the loser go from here, James? Really, I'll say is that Chavez Jr. should retire for me, Rob, because he's clearly not got the discipline. He's not got the work habit to achieve anything in sport because since, you know, years ago when he was the WBC champion, he's just losing pointless fights. I mean, against Canelo, he barely threw a punch. Admittedly, Canelo's very good. But then against Daniel Jacobs, he quit. You know, then he lost to a journeyman, I believe, and now he's losing to, you know, ex-UFC stars. I mean, he's missing weight left, right and centre. It's clearly just not there. The dedication that's needed to get to a high level in this sport is there, and he's letting his, his father's name down. So for me, Julio Cesar Chavez, unless he's going to really, really, really grind out the next few years, he should knock it on the head. On the 24th of July, Joel Joyce returns to the ring. Should he expect a tough night uh, that night? Yeah, he's getting in the room with Carlos Takam, isn't he? I was somewhat disappointed in this because it looked like he'd be getting a rematch with Tony Yoka. Of course, they they fought in the Olympic final, most thinking Joe Joyce won. He was robbed that night. And it looked like there could be a rematch, but Joyce, for some reason, didn't seem keen on that. He said that Yoka needed to earn his way towards it. The opponent is actually taking on Carlos Takam. Many Brits will know him. He's fought the likes of Anthony Joshua, Derek Chisora. He's fought... Chelsea Parker, Alexander Povetkin. He's been in with lots of big names. He's just missing that signature win. And for me, this is the last throw of the dice for Carlos Takam at 40 years of age. It's his last chance to get a massive win. He's always been at a decent level. He's been a sort of top 20 in the world campaigner. And he's been capable of winning these fights. I mean, he was up in the Derek Sora and the Alexander Povetkin fights before he ended up getting knocked out. So he's got the calibre. He's got the talent to win these. But I think at 40 years age... I think he's got a few more miles on the clock, and I think Joe Joyce will be able to just just run for him, really. I see him jabbing his way, bullying Takam. Takam very strong, but Joyce is just so big, so active. And I think the fact that he is so active, he'll wear out the legs and gas tank of a 40-year-old Takam, and I think he'll end up getting a win via knockout. Probably about eight rounds. Joyce wins in about eight for me. Billy Joe Saunders is contemplating a retirement after suffering a first loss of his career. Is that poor attitude from him? 
Yeah, extremely poor attitude. Billy Joe Saunders is a man who, before the Canelo fight, said, "You know, you'd have to, I'd have to die to beat to, to lose a fight. You'd have to kill me. You'd have to do this. You'd have to do that. I'd never quit. I'd never do this. I'd never do that." And then he quit because his eye was injured. And a lot of people have taken him against him for that, predominantly because of the the uh, abuse he gave to Daniel Dubois after he quit against Joe Joyce, and then Billy Joe went on to do, you know, seemingly the exact same thing, if not worse, because at least Daniel Dubois, you know, went a couple of rounds longer. And I think if he retires after this, it'll just look like a bully. It'll look like somebody who was absolutely fine when he was winning, but had one loss and couldn't cope with it. That's that's the mentality I think Billy Joe Saunders has. I mean, it showed in that fight. When he's winning, he's on top, he's fine. But when he loses, it, it didn't take it took a round for him to give up. So I mean, maybe his desire's not there. He was never the most disciplined of fighters. He's had he has so much talent, immense talent, but he's wasted it over the past few years and Maybe now he's going to just finally give up and he's going to, you know, live the life he wants to live. And maybe boxing isn't the right place for him because to come back from a loss of that sort of standard, you need to have a lot of mental determination and character. Maybe he doesn't have that. The World Boxing Super Series has returned with its first ever women's tournament. Tell us all about that, James. Yeah, the World Boxing Super Series has done absolutely amazing things for boxing. We've seen in the cruiserweight division twice, in the bantamweight division, in the super lightweight division, in the super middleweight division, that it's created great world champions. And sometimes, you know, undisputed world champions, if you're Alexander Usyk, for example, and it's done so many great things. And I think the fact that it's doing a women's tournament will be great for female boxing because they need something like this. They need something to get people up on the seats to make them care, to make them take notice. Hopefully Sky Sports or somebody like that will get behind it and help publicise it because I feel like it could be successful. However, I would like them to put another tournament together because the World Boxing Series usually do two uh, tournaments a season. And I think if it's just one, it'll struggle a bit. So maybe we need a second as well. Alex van der Povetkin has retired from boxing. What legacy does he leave? It's difficult, isn't it? I mean, he was a former world champion if you class the, the regular belts of world title. He has some great wins, you know, Huey Fury, David Price, Carlos Taka, Mike Perez, you know, those sort of calibre guys. And he, of course, beat Dylan White as well, didn't he? And the rematch with Dylan White was his last ever fight. As good as he was, it is technically brilliant as he's looked. I think the fact that he did test positive for, for performance enhancing drugs on a few occasions, I think that's what we need to think about here. Because what would he have achieved without those drugs in his system? We'll never know. And a lot of those victories, you know, the ones against Carlos Takam, he was probably, you know, performance enhancing at that point. So who knows how much credit to give him. Based on purely his talent, he was fantastic. And we can look back on his career and think, wow, what a fighter. But we'll have to look at the ethics of him as well. And obviously that, that puts a bit of a hindrance on everything he did. And the final boxing question, Eddie Hearn has announced his first three nights of fight camp. Talk us through that then, James. Yeah, there's three fights to talk about here. The first one is Conor Ben versus Adrian Granados. I think this is the best fight of fight camp for me. Granados always gives it his all. He's been in with some great names and he always takes them distance. He's been unlucky in a couple of controversial decisions and I think he's by far the best challenge of Conor Ben's career. Conor Ben coming into this one on career best form. He's beaten, you know, lots of Sammy Vargas and, you know, people like that in recent times. He's done really, really well. And he's looking like a far better fighter than I think most of us in the trade thought he was going to be. But this is by far his biggest test. Do I think he can win it? Yes, I can. I think Adrian Gonzalez, as good as he's been, is slightly past his best now. 
He's been in a few wars too many. And I think this is Conor Ben's big chance to get a massive victory in over the likes of Adrian Granados. And I think he should do it. But Granados is no mug and he can't overlook him. Moving on to the second fight, we have Kid Galahad versus Jazza Dickens for the IBF Featherweight Championship of the World. This is, of course, a rematch. They fought for the British title a few years back. Kid Galahad won that one via KO. Of course, both men have improved since then. Jazza Dickens winning the gold contract tournament. Kid Galahad beat Josh Warrington for the IBF World Featherweight title and was robbed that night, unfortunately, due to politics. So he really deserves to be a world champion anyway, and he's almost defending this belt against Jesse Dickens. I think Gary Callahan is immensely talented, and I think he should probably win this one. But you can never write off Jesse Dickens because the man has so much heart. He gives it absolutely everything he's got, and you never know. And moving on to the last fight, I've got Josh Batsy versus uh, Ricard Boletniks. Another good fight, Boletniks, of course, beating Jose Burton in the like, heavyweight golden contract. And I think it'll be a really, really good matchup for me. This Really good. A great test for Josh Blatsy, but I expect him to come through. And now moving on to the world of ice hockey. And the GB Ice Hockey has had a positive European Championships. And one of their stars has been rewarded with a super contract in the NHL, Rob. Yeah. Uh, Liam Kirk, uh, one of Great Britain's stars in the Euro Championships, ended up top uh, goalscorer, James in the competition has managed to back himself a three-year deal uh, with the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, they are a good side. He's got in that squad now. Hopefully, he, he'll make an impression and continue this rise in, in the ice hockey world. He's fantastic. He knows where the goal is, James. He, he's certainly a prolific scorer. And uh, it's good that, obviously, Great Britain now has, has a talent on the world stage. And uh, we're hoping to see more goals from him. Yeah, there's not that many uh, British world-level players, and we've certainly got one here who's now playing in the NHL. Do you think he'll be the start of a wave of British uh, talent going over there? I think he will, James. I, I think uh, when you're looking at like, say, the Manchester Storm and the Elite League, there is talent. There's, there's talent in that squad. There's talent in the league. And Canada have to come and have a look and decide you know, to pick these players up in America, in Canada, there, there is, you know, teams out there who are looking for talent all the time. And, you know, I'm hoping that the people in the league and people who have played for Great Britain in this European Championships will be picked up by the, the top teams. It's all going to develop their ice soccer skills. Then it's going to develop the international scene and we're going to become a better team for it. And, and I'm hoping uh, there'll be more that follow me across the pond. You mentioned there, of course, you know, GB having a very positive tournament. What's your takeaway from the whole thing? Well, they, they went into the tournament, James, probably thinking, right, well, if we win one, we'll be OK, which they did. They, they won a, a great game in the tournament. And I'm sure the ice hockey fans listening back home will be happy with that. But they want more. We've got the Elite League growing and we want our international team to, to be the best it can be. They took a positive step forward now, James. The players are being highlighted on the international stage and you're kind of hoping we can kick on uh, for further European Championships and World Championships and then Winter Olympics are probably going to come as well sooner or later. So we're hoping that we can make an impression and continue this rise. Ryan Finity has been talking about what he's looking for in the 21-22 uh, season for Manchester Storm, hasn't he? Yeah, he's come out with a, with a statement. It, there's, like we've said, there's lots of quality players available to him. He's looking for a goal scorer, James. We spoke about it on the show that Manchester Storm sometimes struggle in front of a goal and his main priority is to find a goal scorer. They don't come cheap, even he said that, but he's got his eyes and ears ready, looking around for talent. 
what he finds a goal scorer who can turn Manchester Storm into a top class, potentially title winning team. He's done his job. They've got a great squad there. They just need a goal scorer to make it happen. Absolutely, Rob. And now moving on to the world of football. It's the European Championships and we have to address what was a pretty awful performance from England against Scotland in a nil-nil draw. For the first half an hour or so, England looked likely to score. But after that, it was a bit of a nothing game. Both sides seemed, you know, flat. I thought England and Scotland were going to come into this one motivated, trying to prove a point. It's a big grudge match. The first time we played each other in a European Championships in years. And it certainly didn't feel like that because it felt like a felt like a friendly almost between the two sides. And it just wasn't good enough, was it, Rob? Well, I, th- I think the occasion got to everybody. Lots of media throughout the week and, and on the day building this game up. Yeah, it is a big game. It's European Championships. It's the old enemy. The two biggest, you know, big the oldest sides who have played friendlies come together. And it's always sort of blood and thunder. It's always passionate. And yeah, did the players get a bit upset with that? Did they not mentally prepare for that? Because we, we saw that against Scotland. England just weren't at the races for me. And the longer the game on, the longer the game went on, Scotland looked more like they were going to score. Was that tactical? Gareth Southgate, you know, Rothgate won our first game against Croatia. So a point against Scotland in the bigger picture, James, isn't the worst result in the world. Puts us one foot in the in the last 16. And that's what it's all all about. Gareth Southgate, tournament manager, he knows how to get to the latter stages, like we did in the World Cup and he knows it's not all about beating Scotland, it's just about qualifying and that's the bottom line Yeah, it's def- there's definitely more to it, I mean we'll talk about that game with Czech Republic in a minute or two, but Rob I want to quickly ask you about the side in general and specifically Harry Kane because a lot of people are criticising his performance, do you think that's fair? Yeah, he doesn't look fit to me James and he's had a long season at Tottenham being their main man. I know he got injured sort of towards the middle and the back end of the season. Is he is he struggling to find some form? And being England's main sort of goal scorer, is that pressure starting to weigh on his shoulders? I know we've got good players around him, but we're looking at Harry Kane to be the man. Being the captain as well, that can't help as well. Does does Southgate does Gareth Southgate? think well what I'll do I'll have to take him out to to shield him because he looks shattered both physically and mentally that's the big question because obviously in these competitions you need to play your strongest side and Harry Kane might just pop pop up and score the winner next week which sends us through to the next round so it's interesting to see what happens obviously he's also been linked to to Manchester United well that might be weighing on his shoulders as well so he's got the sort of the eyes of the nation he's got the eyes of of uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as well and it's pressure building up on on the big uh, centre forward what what do you think James I completely agree I don't think he looks fit at all and I know it could dent his confidence a little bit and I know that he's also capable of scoring goals you know especially you know when it's at his feet and he's he's a bit of a I mean, I suppose a bit of a poetry. He just knows where the goal is, doesn't he? Knows how to score. But that performance against Scotland wasn't good enough for me. So I, I would, I would potentially not play him against the Czech Republic. And I quickly want to ask you about that game, Rob. First of all, from a momentum perspective, it's dried up, hasn't it, against Scotland? Can we pull it back in the game against Czech Republic? I think we can, James. I think, like I said before, Gareth Southgate's job is to qualify for the next round. Yes, we weren't very good against Scotland. But a point gets us one foot into the next round. And that's what 
is all that matters. We look back at the World Cup um, last 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 year. We weren't fantastic. We didn't play flowing football. We ground results out. Yeah, we've got fantastic players in that squad. The likes of Phil Foden, uh, Jack Grealish, Raheem Sterling. All flair players can make magic happen. But Gareth Southgate continues to play that conservative way. And he and he knows what that's best for him to get a result. Yeah, if we're chasing a game, he has that opportunity to unleash the attacking dogs and let them all go. But if you do that from the beginning, you end up getting turned over. We're not playing FIFA 21, James. You know, it's all about tactics. It's all about making sure we're solid as a team. And I'm hoping that Gareth Southgate continues just to play it safe. And if we do need to go and attack, we do. Currently, Czech Republic are top of the group and we're behind them uh, uh, on goal difference at the moment, Rob. Where do you want to finish in the group right now? Because if we play for a draw against Czech Republic, we'll finish second. And that opens up a route. Uh, I think it's Sweden, Denmark or Slovakia. Whereas if we win the group, we get Portugal, Germany or France. So do you think it tactically, it'd be better for us to finish second? It would be tactically better for us to finish second, James. But it's it's Russian roulette and it? it just needs a deflective goal. And and, and and it's all all up in the air again. But Czech Republic are above us. And if both sides know what the result needs to be to get through, then we'll have to wait and see. Don't forget, Czech Republic might want to finish second as well. So both sides might be looking at basically maybe playing a weaker side, basically getting players who haven't played in the first two rounds and give them a game, gives people options. I'm, I'm hoping that we, we go all the way and try and win it because I think it's dangerous that you think, yeah, if we finish second, it's an easier route because in football, anything can happen. And I would hate for, for Gareth Southgate, uh, it's meant to sort of be dumped out of a tournament or an even harder route uh, through the best third place route. Yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult, isn't it? Especially considering you don't know what the result of that Croatia-Scotland game will be, do you? Yeah. And I mean, if, if Croatia run right against Scotland, then the whole thing's thrown on its head. This is it. And it could be the other way around. Scotland could come in sort of fast and, and, and win that last game. And, and they're in the mix as well. It, it's certainly, you know, nip and tuck that group. Anyone can go through. And, and Gareth Southgate, he's done it. He knows that he's got four points in the bag. If we get five points, it takes us through. And, and that's the important thing. It's about getting through to that next round. Yet yeah, you've got to play a higher, uh, you know, standard of team. But does that, make the players raise the game or is that more pressure on them uh, James that you have to play a, a higher standard of, of op opponent in the next round I think I mean the, there's a danger of complacency isn't there I mean we're talking about maybe coming second to bag an easier side but we went out against Iceland yeah. a few years back didn't we so I mean you never know I mean I suppose if you want to win a European Championship or a World Championship you need to be the best team in there and you shouldn't really be getting easy games should you no, because when you think it's an easy game, you take your foot off the gas and the team you're playing know you're a big dog in the fight. So they will try everything to turn you over. And if you aren't 100% on your game, James, you might become a victim of the European Championships because obviously we've been in, you know, playing all our games at Wembley so far, James. So it's been like a home nations kind of cup, really, which is an advantage for, for us. 
Euro 96 was the same when we played all our games at Wembley. We got to the semi-final. So even though you've got COVID restrictions in the crowd, you know, you've still got the England support there. So I'm thinking that, you know, we'll play well. And if we have to, don't forget in Euro 96, we have to beat Holland, which was in part, and Spain. So, you know, we, we are capable of turning big teams over. Yeah, we most certainly are. And I think when, when we play the better teams, we'll we'll put together better performances. But this Czech Republic game, I mean, arguably the hardest game of the competition so far. I mean, they're, they're currently top of the group. What's your prediction, Rob? I mean, as it's being heard now by our viewers, the match will be, you know, probably about 10 minutes from kicking off. Mm. So uh, how do you think it's going to go? I'm thinking England will go out there and win the game. They'll win 2-0. Yeah, you've got to go and play bigger sides and better sides. But confidence breeds confidence and we can go and beat these sides and go all the way. I think it's a very dangerous tactic, James, thinking we'll go, we'll finish second, we'll go for a draw and then we'll pick up our you know, game against a lower rated side because them lower rated sides will want to come at Wembley and turn over the big dog. So I'm just hoping that we, uh, we do the right thing, we go and win the game and then we'll go from there. What do you think? I think I think we'll probably beat the Czech Republic and then we get what who will be second place in that group probably Germany mm. it's looking like and I think I think Germany's a winnable game right now I know they just beat Portugal but they didn't look amazing against France so I feel like it's a game we can definitely win it's a grudge match we'll be up for it and I feel like we can beat them I really really do I feel like we're the second favorites in this whole tournament for a reason we just need to get over this little blip against Scotland and get back to winning ways because we didn't play badly against Croatia by any means but we record the show on the Sunday, and as of right now, only one group have finished, and that's Group A. And despite a loss tonight against Italy, Wales have still advanced to the next round of the tournament. They've come in second, and you think they'll be very pleased with themselves? They will be pleased, James, and they've been very good. Obviously, a lot of talk about Gareth Bale being their main man and, and making the magic happen. But for me, James, it's been pretty poor so far in this uh, group tournament. He missed a penalty last, uh, last in the last game. He was non-existent today. He had a volley that kind of still in orbit at the moment. So the qualification for this Welsh team has come from the from the Welsh players, the likes of Ramsey and James, and you know the players like that. Gareth Bale, you know, he's been a bit of a passenger for me. But we know what Gareth Bale's like, don't we? Gareth Bale can just make a moment which will take Wales through to the next round and that's why they kind of put up with that kind of performance because they know that you know the next game they'll go and win the game for him what what do you think yeah I don't think Wales are a one-man team by any stretch I think they play very well together and I think they'll be happy to have come second especially in a fairly tough group I mean Switzerland will probably come through as well Uh, they finish with four points uh, in third place, but of course, four of the third place teams go through. And Turkey, again, a good side. They came fourth. Didn't actually win a game. And Rob, do you pick them as to the you know, potential underdogs to put in a good run, Turkey? They didn't manage to win a game. And do you think they'll be disappointed? They will be. They will be, uh, James. Because obviously, you're on the biggest stage of all, aren't you? And Turkey came into this tournament thinking that they could get through and cause trouble for, for other teams. And to, to finish where they finish, James, it's, it's a massive problem. Because uh, how can they develop, you know, the funding for their FA? They might look at that and think, well, you know, what what's happening here, lads? What, why are we not competing with these teams? So it's an interesting situation uh, for the likes of Turkey. And other teams like that, you know, we're looking at other groups, people like Spain struggling to get through, James. Uh, for me, it will be interesting to see what happens with Sweden top of the group and Slovakia. Spain are struggling. 
I've seen in the last two games, James, and they are dire. They can't score goals. I think they've got to go to Slovakia next game and got to win. And I don't see that happening. Yeah, I mean, if Spain could get knocked out of the tournament, it'd be a fantastic result for all the other sides because they're always a threat in the last stages of tournaments. But they haven't looked great. I mean, an only drew against Poland last time out. And they're not quite the threats they were in, like, you know, 2008, about a decade ago. And, you know, they do look like a beatable side nowadays, which 10 years ago they didn't. They used to be the favourites to win absolutely everything. And quickly reverting back to Group A, Italy topped that group. They won every single game. And could yeah. there be threats to win this whole thing? Well, yeah, because Italy know how to win competitions, don't they, James? And they're very solid defensively. And going forward, they look like they know how to score goals now. Because I think with Italy, they've always been great defence. They'll nick one and then they'll sit. But this Italian side knows how to attack as well. Extra, you know, bit of zip in it. Mancini's got them playing well. And they'll be a contender come the latter stages of the competition, James. Mark my words. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Italy are going to be very, very tough to beat in this tournament. And looking at some of the other sides in this, Germany beating Portugal by four goals to two. An extremely impressive game. And does that leave Portugal vulnerable now? Do you think they'll still be able to, you know, recapture that momentum? Of course, they are the defending champions at the moment. Well, it's it's a real group of death, isn't it, James? Because you've got France on uh, four points. You've got Germany on three points. You've got Portugal on three points. So any of them big, big teams might be in trouble because obviously they don't want to finish third, third and, and be, you know, one of the best third place finish teams because you've got to come across and get a top rank, rank side. And Portugal with Cristiano Ronaldo um, and, and and that kind of circus that surrounds him. He, not, he wants to be the best player and he wants to defend the European crown that he's got. Will, it, will he get through? Big questions have to be asked. They've got to go to France and win. And for me, France are a very, very good side. They've got fantastic players. They've got the likes of Pogba. They've got Benzema. They've got players there who know Kante, know how to win competitions, know how to win games. So it will be a massive challenge. Can Cristiano lift this team to high levels like he did in the last tournament? That's the big question for me, James. And we'll be looking forward to see what happens because if he does, it might be another moment in his legacy going forward. Yeah, do you think it's strange, really? Because when we all talk about Portugal, we all talk about Cristiano Ronaldo's legacy. Do you think it really is as much as a one-man team as Portugal's made out to be? Well, they've got Jota, haven't they? He knows how to score goals. Um, and they kind of work to Ronaldo's strengths. Ronaldo isn't running around the pitch like a like a 25-year-old anymore. He picks his moments. But when he picks his moments, he picks his moments, James. And that lifts everybody. I think the problem with the German uh, game was the German knew that and they were very, you know, efficient at what they did. They closed Ronaldo out of the game and then hit Portugal on the attack. And that's how they won the game. And that's how teams, I think, will have to deal with Portugal. Try and stop Ronaldo from playing. And when the frustration builds, go and score a goal. Will it happen in the next round? Will France be able to do that? Because I don't see the way, the way France play with them quality players, James. They're going to say, you know what, we're going to play negatively and stop Ronaldo from playing because they're good enough. France have got some fantastic players. France are going to go, you know what, you want to play, we want to play as well, which might be, you know, make it a, you know, possibly game of the tournament for us watching at home. Yeah, most certainly. I think it's going to be an extremely entertaining game. And France, as good as they are, they did drop two points against Hungary of all sides and they even went 1-0 down in that game. Do you yeah. think France, if there's a time to beat them, now is the time? 
Yeah, I suppose it does change because obviously there's pressure on them, isn't there? And going, you know, one nil down against Hungary, it is. It would have been a pressure cooker atmosphere for him. And I suppose when you're looking at tournaments, Dedier Deschamps, he says that getting, you know, finishing less than a semi-final would be seen as a failure. You come out with that kind of comment, you've got to go out and, and win the competition, really. So you're only kind of one kind of dodgy game away away from failing. And, and it be, that's the only thing about France. That's the pressure on them because everyone knows they're good and they can go and win it easy. But can they do it game after game after game? That's the big question. It is. And looking at some of the other good teams in the tournament, let's talk about, first of all, Belgium. Won both the games so far. I mean, they're the third favourites to win the whole thing at the start of the tournament. Do you think they're living up to that reputation? It's going to be interesting with Belgium. Obviously, we're like with a minute to go, uh, James. Now, you know, Lukaku, he's he's playing like 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 Superman at the moment. Couldn't kick a bag of, bag of sand at, at Man United, but put him in a Belgium shirt, and he's and he's playing like Marco van Basten. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens, really, because <laughs> obviously they are seen as one of the favourites in the competition so we are kind of excited about what's to come uh, but we'll have to see all these top sides there's only one going to win it isn't it yeah most certainly only one side is going to win the tournament and the last team I'll ask you about Rob with limited time left on the crock is the Netherlands also have won both their games so far are they threats in this yeah, you have to think uh, about about Holland, uh, James. They, they, they obviously didn't qualify uh, for the last two competitions. They've come through this one and, you know, the top of the group, they're playing well and we're going to have to be exciting uh, to see what happens there. The orange wall, they call them, uh, the supporters, and you're kind of hoping that they continue to put, the, you know, the support they can behind the team and uh, they can add uh, possibly to, to more wins to go. But we're excited. Big thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat.